Dear friends, welcome to the Midweeks again. We are in 2 Samuel, and just so you know, it is completely freezing outside. It's way less than negative 20, and so I've got a heater running in my office because I think there's a spot in the wall where there's no insulation. And so we're trying to deal with that, but if it sounds a little bit like there's some background noise on this recording, I'm just trying to stay alive, and hopefully that's okay. We're in chapter 14 of 2 Samuel, and this one's entitled Absalom Returns. It's about Absalom coming back to relationship with uh, the king. He's killed Amnon. He's under self-exile, essentially hiding. Um, And in the big picture of things here, in the book of Samuels, um, God had responded to Israel's unbelief in wanting a king by giving them a pagan king in Saul who had his own rise and his own fall because of unbelief and God provided himself a faithful king in David. However, after David was given this Davidic covenant that one of his sons would sit on the throne of Israel forever, uh, David had a massive fall uh, in unbelief through what happened with Bathsheba and her husband. And now he is living through the consequences of his uh, sin and unbelief. And this story is building towards a civil war. Because what could be the worst thing uh, when God has promised that one of David's sons will sit on his throne after him, which is a good thing, the worst thing that could happen would be one of his sons killing him to sit on the throne. So this is about as bad as it could get. And the big question is, how will God prove himself faithful and just at the same time? And theologically, this is one of the questions about God that is only really satisfied on the cross. In Romans chapter 3, it says that God is both just and the one who justifies the ungodly through the cross. Because Jesus took the punishment for sin, that satisfies the need that God is just because he's a holy God. But because Jesus died for sins, God is able to grant forgiveness to everyone who looks to him in faith. And so he can be just and the one who justifies the ungodly. But we're going to see how this tension between God's promise to David as well as God's promise to Moses or his covenant with David, that's one of his sons would dwell on the throne, and his covenant with Moses where God promises to punish unbelief and punish sin, how these two covenants work out, work themselves out in the behavior of God. So here we are with this son of David, who's in exile for killing another son of David, having to be brought home. And note the themes of uh, deception here and people being scheming. I said in a previous podcast that because David used scheming in trying to get rid of Uriah and then conceal the pregnancy Um, David is subjected to being the victim of his own schemings or other people's schemings. Now, in this story, he's going to see through it. But there's lots of schemings going on ever since David schemed. Verse 1. Now, Joab, the son of Zeruiah, knew that the king's heart went out to Absalom. And Joab sent to Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning garments. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but behave like a woman who has been mourning many days for the dead. Go to the king and speak thus to him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. Okay, so here we have Joab again. Joab is shrewd and can talk about the Lord, but he proves himself often to be a worldly man instead of a man of faith. And you can see here he's trying to manipulate situations here. He knows that the king is downhearted, and we're not sure why. Like, 
is it why Joab is responding to this? If he's just trying to get David back on his feet or what? But he's responding to the king's heart going out to Absalom. But we don't have any sign of prayer or worship here. So we're not totally sure if this is a good deal. And it's going to prove, you know, Joab's going to suffer for these things he's doing later on in the story. And so he calls this woman of Tekoa. Tekoa, I think, is known for wise people being there. And he commands her to set up a ruse against the king. And he puts these words in her mouth. Verse 4. When the woman of Tekoa came to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and paid homage and said, Save me, O king. And the king said to her, What is your trouble? She answered, Alas, I am a widow. My husband is dead. And your servant had two sons, and they quarreled with one another in the field. There was no one to separate them, and one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole clan has risen against your servant. And they say, Give up the man who struck his brother, that we may put him to death for the life of his brother whom he killed. And so they would destroy the heir also. Thus they would quench my coal that is left, and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the face of the earth. Okay, so you can see this woman set up this situation here. And this actually reminds me a bit of Solomon later on. Solomon's going to have this impossible situation, right? Two women coming and a dead baby. So this reminds us of, or Solomon's situation will remind us of David's one here. But David as king, it's his job to be the highest court in the land. He's like the Supreme Court. There might be other judges underneath him, but he's the Supreme Court. And this woman has this situation where there's this tension between obligations. There is an obligation in the family to have heirs to carry on the family name, and that's connected with God's promise to the land. The land needs to stay with the family, and so in order for the land to stay with the family, there needs to be heirs. And so she's saying there's this clash between justice for the son who's killed and the family's need to have an heir. So similarly to this Davidic covenant in tension with Moses' covenant. Moses demands justice. David's covenant demands an heir. So we see this right here. Verse 8. Then the king said to the woman, Go to your house, and I will give orders concerning you. This is quite noncommittal. Verse 9. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, On me be the guilt, my lord the king, and on my father's house. Let the king and his throne be guiltless. It isn't guiltless, but you know, she's, she's working on something here. The king said, If anyone says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall never touch you again. So he's going to, he's saying in this sense, I'm going to save the son that's still alive and she's saying well aren't you going to bring some guilt on you and he says well if anybody has any complaints i will deal with them this also reminds me of nathan do you remember after nathan or after david sinned and had uriah killed nathan came with this story about the lamb being taken by the rich man and david responds to the story and starts making judgments on the story not realizing he's condemning himself so we have another one of these scenarios except the first time it's a prophet sent by god this time it's a woman sent by joab and so they're they're not from the same divine origin Verse 11, then she said, please let the king invoke the Lord your God, that the avenger of blood kill no more and my son not be destroyed. And he said, as the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. So she's trying to manipulate him and maneuver him into a specific response re resolving Absalom. She's going to say, since you can do this here, why not you? And so she's she's maneuvering David and backing, painting him into a corner, backing him to a corner about Absalom especially by getting him to invoke the Lord saying, I will do this kind of thing. So this is, this is a big deal. 
Verse 12, Then the woman said, Please let your servant speak a word to my lord the king. And he said, Speak. And the woman said, Why then have you planned such a thing against the people of God? For in giving this decision, the king convicts himself, inasmuch as the king does not bring his banished one home again. We must all die. We are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God will not take away life, and he devises means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. Now I have come to say this to my lord, the king, because the people have made me afraid, and your servant thought, I will speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his servant. For the king will hear and deliver his servant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together with from the heritage of the Lord. Sorry, of God. And your servant thought, the word of my lord the king will set me at rest, for my lord the king is like the angel of God discerning good and evil. The Lord God be with you. Okay, so this is where it gets really muddled because I am really not sure that this woman actually had any issues with her sons. Like, did Joab seek out a woman who had a weird situation that reminded him of Absalom and then commanded him to do this? So up to this point, this whole issue with the two sons, I'm assuming is a ruse. I don't have any evidence from the story that it's actually true. All I know is that Joab is setting the king up for a certain response. And so when she starts laying into the king for a second about what he's done, she she is going after him, but then she also falls back on, oh, and this is why I came to talk to you with my, my, my situation. And so um, this is coming out as being more shrewd than godly with this expression of wisdom, more manipulative than... Uh, with the desire to set free so this is this is where it gets really weird for me and i don't think this woman of tekoa should be seen as completely trustworthy um, she's been sent by joab yes but even as she speaks and she she is trying to back the king to the corner it seems like um, it's being revealed by her own long speech that that she's she's trying to accomplish something and she's lying to do it she's probably not to be trusted all the way so she says that my lord the king is like an angel of god discerning good and evil which is interesting because this reminds us of the garden you know this thing where somebody's being told um and the angel of the lord can discern between good and evil reaching out and doing that was what got us kicked out of the garden to reach up and try to be like god discerning good and evil but the king is now in this place as a godly messenger to discern good and evil as the judge and the woman is hoping that he actually isn't 100% able to discern good and evil and discover her um, she wants him to get back to the court and bring Absalom home but not necessarily does she want to be punished for her machinations verse 18 then the king answered the woman do not hide from me anything I ask you and the woman said let my lord the king speak and he said is the hand of Joab with you in all this Boom. Okay, so at that point, we're starting to see the old David come back. He discerns right through her story here and sees even the one who sent her. And so we're starting to see the king um, come back a little bit. And I think in the next chapter or two, when David's being chased out of Jerusalem by Absalom, we start to see him totally uh, coming back not totally sorry but we see him largely coming back he's no longer passive he's starting to take action and this is where we we start to see David return a little bit where events aren't just happening to him and deceptions aren't just controlling him he now perceives through the Tekoan woman and sees Joab working this out so second half of verse 19 
The woman answered and said, As surely as you live, my lord the king, one cannot turn to the right hand or to the left hand from anything that my lord the king has said. It was your servant Joab who commanded me. It was he who put all these words into the mouth of your servant. In order to change the course of things, your servant Joab did this. But my lord has wisdom like the wisdom of the angel of God to know all things that are on the earth. So now she's busted, and this is true. I think she's confessing about Job's working through things here, and now when she says, you are wise, she knows that she's been had, and that's true. And so this is a good thing. David just, you know, one question, and he unravels her, um, and then he's going to make a decision based on this. So he's not going to change his mind about bringing Absalom back. He's going to admit that, you know, he can bring Absalom back, but... This whole thing that Joab is doing isn't, isn't going to turn out super well. And we're going to see this before the chapter's over. Verse 21, Then the king said to Joab, Behold, now I grant this. Go bring back the young man Absalom. And Joab fell on his face to the ground and paid homage and blessed the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I found favor in your sight, my lord the king, in that the king has granted the request of his servant. So again, not totally sure why Joab is trying to bring Absalom back. Um, does is it because of a guilty conscience and what he did with Uriah is he just feeling sad for David does he feel like he had a hand in all of this stuff not sure but um, he definitely is showing himself very humble here and is going to go and bring Absalom back so Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem and the king said let him dwell apart from his own house apart in his own house he's not to come into my presence so absalom lived apart in his own house and did not come to the king's presence so david is working with joab's request but he still isn't reconciled in his heart he still knows that absalom's committed murder um so it's not things are really not cut and dry especially because absalom hasn't come back repentant He's being brought back by Joab because Joab feels sorry for the king, it looks like. But Absalom has not come back confessing or repentant or anything. And so it makes it very hard for the king to see him. The king is still sitting in his throne in justice. And Absalom can be brought back from his banishment, but he doesn't deserve much. Now in all Israel, verse 25, there's no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head, for the end of every year it used to be cut, when it was heavy on him, he cut it. He weighed the hair of his head two hundred shekels by the king's weight. And there was born to Absalom three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar, and she was a beautiful woman. And so we have this, I think, a bit of a shift in the narrative here where we're going to be focusing on Absalom more as an initiator for the next while. You can see, like, whenever the Bible, you know, stops and does a description or starts talking about genealogy, it's really trying to refocus who is um, the main character, so to speak. And so now we're shifting to Absalom, and we're looking at his handsomeness. So this is like his dad. Remember, David was um, introduced as being handsome. But also, there's this weird echo of sheep shearing 
Um, there's no blemish in him, so a sacrifice that's a sheep is meant to have no blemish in it. When he cut his hair, it weighed 200 shekels by the king's weight, which is a lot of hair. And so he's kind of being introduced to us as this really handsome sheep, which may, again, be this echo of when David said that the rich man needs to pay fourfold for killing the poor man's sheep, Absalom is, is being presented to us as the next person that... that uh, consequence is going to be coming down on and he's being presented to us as this sheep for the slaughter so to speak now he's handsome and beautiful as a man but also there's this hinting of sheepness about him we hear that he has three sons and one daughter whose name is tamar later on i think the bible says that absalom doesn't have any heir so it sounds like his sons and his daughter die or at least his sons and tamar is named after her aunt and it reminds us by naming her there of why Absalom left in the first place. This woman, Tamar, who is beautiful and Absalom's willingness to kill Amnon because of what he did to her. Verse 28. So Amnon, Absalom, excuse me, lived two full years in Jerusalem without coming into the king's presence. Then Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but Joab would not come. And he sent a second time, but Joab would not come. Then he said to his servants, see, Joab's field is next to mine. And he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. And Joab arose and went to Absalom at his house and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Joab, Behold, I sent word to you. Come here that I may send you to the king to ask, Why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me to be there still. Now, therefore, let me go into the presence of the king. If there is guilt in me, let him put me to death. Then Joab went to the king and told him, and he summoned Absalom. So the king came. So he came to the king and bowed himself on the, f on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. So there is the completion of the return. So when I hear verse twenty-eight say that Absalom was in Jerusalem two full years, that was the amount of time that Absalom waited between Amnon um, defiling Tamar and him killing Amnon. And so there's just two years of scheming. And what we're going to find out is that Absalom has his own schemes afoot. And so very likely we're supposed to be like, uh-oh, two years of waiting. Very likely Absalom's been scheming this whole time. And so now when he wants to go see the king, he's actually going to be setting into motion schemes that he's been working on for a while. And so he asked Joab to let him in. For some reason, Joab doesn't bring him to the king. And so he gets his way with fire with destruction and so for sure this lets us know that absalom has not repented of having done anything wrong he's in the mood to get his own way even if it means starting a fire and he kind of calls david's bluff through this he says you know what let me go to the king and if the king wants to kill me great but otherwise send me home and so he forces a reconciliation without bringing it about through humility and repentance and throw this is a uh, reconciliation by manipulation which is not good and verse chapter 15 that's the end of the chapter chapter 15 we're going to see absalom launch his coup and so he has been scheming he's gonna try to set out a coup to take over the kingdom to remove the king and this is how it all starts and so there's this setup here absalom is very shrewd but he's not a man of faith He's good at getting things done, but he does evil things. And he's very likely, you know, holding this grudge against his father because his father didn't do anything when Tamar was violated and wouldn't bring him back. And so Absalom, without the Bible saying this is a bitter man, 
Absalom is a bitter man. And he's going to try to take over the kingdom because of it. So there you go. Um, complicated stuff, but the, this is our history. As the people of God, this is part of our history. From the overview, we're watching God work out his promises and threats in human history. And in the short view, uh, we can see here kind of the consequences of being stuck in bitterness and being scheming on how to manipulate and empower and try to take over things. You're, we can end up being Absaloms unless we are people of humility and brokenheartedness and people focused on the Lord. And even Joab, you can see how Joab's kind of trying to do good things and bring Absalom home, but because he did it by trickery instead of by humility and by prayer and faith, uh, his not too long after he gets his way by bringing Absalom home, Absalom burns down his field, which isn't good. And so Absalom, or, or sorry, Joab is, is suffering for how he tried to bring this about, which is a great call for all of us to want to work by faith, to want to work by prayer and faith and righteousness and not by bitterness or manipulation because God's ruling over this stuff and there are not great consequences. There's good discipline even for God's children when we try to work these ways. So be blessed, and we'll be back next time.